Hi, welcome to In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor, where we talk about millennials and this crazy world they're adulting into. Hey guys, Happy New Year. Welcome back. In 2018, I took some time off over the holidays to catch up with my family and then things have been a little busy since I got back to Costa Rica for the new year. Uh, But it's going to be a cool year. I've got a lot of ideas and great people that are going to be on the podcast this next year. And thanks for joining for the 2017 ride. This has been one of the best decisions I made in 2017 and it's just going to get better in 2018. So uh, welcome to the interview with Bill Lane. This guy is really cool guy. He actually talks in his interview about getting into addiction in his early teens in New York City, way back when addiction was just a huge confusion to everyone. And he went to one of the first drug rehabs in the nation called Synanon, S-Y-N-A-N-O-N, and started his journey to then work for Synanon. And then 25 years ago, he founded a transporting company. And for those of you that don't know, transporting is where you hire individuals, you've got an adolescent or a young adult that's in crisis, there's an intervention and, and they agree or maybe not agree to go to a program and at that point, you know, professionals are there to help a young person transition into a program safely and as gently as possible. And he talks about that process, which is a fascinating process and an important one in what we do in our industry. So A lot of great lessons here, a lot of great wisdom, and just a guy who's all heart. One of the things I love most about Bill, when I first got into this industry, I met him early on at a conference, saw him six months later, and he walks right up, Andrew, how you doing, remembers your name, makes you feel like a million bucks, which is such a nice quality to have, and uh, we talk about that a little bit at the end too, so enjoy the interview, and thanks for joining. As always, take care. All right, cool. So we're recording. Uh, Bill, welcome to my podcast. How are you doing today? Great, Andrew. I'm happy to be. I'm happy to talk with you. Yeah, man, you're an industry veteran and legend in in so many ways. And uh, so I've been excited to sit down with you for a long time. And, I, you know, I think the the best place to start is where did it start for you? I mean, you've been doing this Oh, transporting over 25 years, and then even beyond that, you've got a lot of experience. So how did you get into all of this and end up where you're at today? Well, actually, it all started. You know, I was a, a 13-year-old uh, kid from uh, Brooklyn, New York, and uh, unfortunately got caught up with a little older crowd and uh, got involved in uh, some uh, pretty heavy drug use. Uh, uh, I became a heroin addict when I was about 13. And I, yeah, yeah. And that's when it all started, you know, at 13. And it wasn't in those days, you know, years ago, it it wasn't as big as it is today. Uh, But from 13 to 20, uh, I was messed up on drugs. And uh, unfortunately, in that, uh, during that time, uh, yeah, my family tried everything. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, there was no way to go. There was no help. Uh, you know, you were really, really classified. If you were a drug addict, uh, you were bad news. 
nobody even wanted to talk to you or be around you because nobody understood it in those days. At that but, time, uh, Bill, at that time, were, I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous was around, but were, were they not working with drug addiction at that point yet? It's interesting you ask that. Years ago, uh, at that time, uh, they really frowned up, you know, they really wanted to work with alcoholics. You know, they frowned on drug addicts. I mean, if you went to a meeting, I mean, you'd, they'd want you to sit in the back of the room and be quiet. Wow. So it was a little different in those days. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I remember that. But, uh, you know, I mean, today it's changed. It's like, you know, black. it's very, very different today. They accept it a lot more today uh, because it's become such a big industry. But there was nothing. I mean, there was one program my family had heard about, my mother had heard about on the, the Steve Allen show. Steve Allen was a talk show host like Johnny Carson. And uh, he was talking about this miracle on the beach in Santa Monica, California, drug addicts working with drug addicts. And, and that's what she heard. And she heard that on the show, wrote it down, called them the following day. And uh, they just said, hey, you know, put them on a plane and we'll meet them at the airport. And uh, that was the beginning. You know, uh, I flew out. I was uh, had a broken leg. I didn't have too much of a choice, so I had a broken <laughs> leg, and I was hooked. And uh, uh, in those days, there was, you know, and and believe me, it's, that's a whole other story. You know, it was drug addicts working with drug addicts. There was no such thing as clinicians. Uh, they wouldn't take you if you were on medication. They didn't believe in medication, and it was uh, mostly young adults. And I was uh, I was twenty, and uh, you kick your habit in the living room with a bucket. And uh, that's how it was. I mean, uh, everything revolved around you in that couch and uh, you know, you were on that couch until you kicked your habit. No medication, no help. And uh, it was interesting. Uh, there was a, believe it or not, uh, Ebony Magazine was shooting a story around the founder and his wife. She was black and he was white. And, and uh, they had shot a picture of me convulsing and it ended up in that magazine in 1963. And I still have the magazine and the photo. But it, uh, uh, it was a very interesting time. But, you know, the program in that, that program was two and a half years. If you went there, you had to commit to being there for two and a half years. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I never, ever messed around again. I went through that program. Then I went to work for the program, and it was called Synanon, S-Y-N-A-N-O-N. -N -N. I went to work for the program, and I was there 12 years. Wow. Everything I learned, I learned there. It was unbelievable. And it became very famous, and uh, it, was, it was free, and they took anybody and everybody. Uh, as a matter of fact, my wife, uh, who I met, my wife I met, she was visiting and I had met her and we dated a few years and got married. And, and we ended up going to New York and working in the house in New York and, and recruiting addicts and flying them out to California. I mean, we did that for a long time. We did that. I, I was in opened up houses in Westport, Connecticut. I opened up houses in San Diego, but they became very big. Uh, but unfortunately, they uh, became a very cultish also. And that was the beginning of the end for them. How was but this all funded? They, it was a nonprofit, and we did all the fundraising. Uh, the clients did the fundraising. For instance, uh, if we wanted meat and we needed beef, I would move to Amarillo, Texas for a month, and I would go to every cattle feed yard 
in the panhandle of Texas, Mule Shoe, Texas, Dumas, Texas, Freona, Texas, and I would uh, hustle uh, cattle. I'd go to the feed yards, talk with the owners, get them to donate live fat cattle. Then I'd get them to donate, uh, uh, you know, a trucking company to donate their services to pick them up live. And then I'd get a slaughterhouse in Clovis, New Mexico to donate their services to process the cattle and ship it to California. That's how we did it. We wow. needed lumber. I'd, I'd move to Roseburg, Oregon for a month. I'd have a spec list from an architect, you know, that we we're building a building. And I would go to every lumber mill and get them to donate every stick of lumber. And the same thing, trucking company, get them to donate their services and ship it to California. And we'd build a building. That's how it was done. I mean, we... Uh, we were unbelievable when it came to, uh, uh, you know, not only the fundraising, but uh, uh, hustling the goods. They are, uh, you know, they're, uh, they, they also, they had, they had one of the biggest ad gift companies in the country. You know, the ad gifts where you have your imprint on your hats and your coffee cups and your pens and pencils and all, all that, uh, that swag. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they, they would go door to door, commercial businesses selling those goods, and it became so big. It was unbelievable. Yeah, they were big. That's an, but, um, that's a yeah. really brilliant model. I I love it. Um, well, well the, it's the old RTC, Andrew. <laughs> how how many people were in this house? And I mean, if it was free, I, I would imagine there were people. How come it just people weren't like pounding down the door? But they did. You know, let me tell you something. They were all over the world. And uh, they, they had, an, I think when I left, there must have been 1,000, 2,000 people living in the houses. They had, uh, in uh, Santa Monica, California, they had, uh, one of their facilities was the, it was uh, uh, the Casa, now it's the Casa Del Mar, which is a $800 a night hotel. It's right on the ocean, Pico in the ocean in Santa Monica. And uh, that was a facility that uh, they owned. I lived there for years with my wife. They owned uh, they owned thousands of apartment uh, units all throughout uh, Santa Monica, uh, but also in San Francisco. I mean, they had probably a 12 square block uh, 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 facility that was donated by National Lead Company. They had they owned the Athens Athletic Club in Oakland. They owned you wouldn't believe the property they owned in uh, Marin County. They owned uh, the old Vito Marconi estate. Vito Marconi invented the wireless. And that estate was on Tamales Bay in uh, Marin County, which is about 45 miles out north of San Francisco. But they owned thousands of acres of ranch land in uh, Marin County. They were big. They were big. So and, uh, of course. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, there were books written about it. There was, there's a, a feature motion picture called Synanon. That was uh, uh, filmed, uh, but it, it became very, very big, and that got that got in their way. What was the daily routine like, or what was it? You know, addicts working with addicts. That combination historically has worked really well. Did they have a lot of structure to it? Was it a pretty loose deal? Oh, yeah. Or oh, yeah. so? Uh, so very, what did what did that two and a half years look like if you were in the program? Well, you, you know, you would get up, uh, you'd have to be up at a certain time, take care of your personal space, be at a morning meeting, and uh, you'd be at that morning meeting, and the synodon philosophy would be read, and the synodon prayer would be read, and uh, then there'd be, uh, you know, somebody would get up, and uh, they'd uh, have a, a concept on the board, and you'd discuss that for maybe an hour, and then 
you would go on to, everybody worked within the facility. You know, everybody had a job, you know, and uh, at, you'd have breakfast and then you, you'd go, you know, you'd go to work and then there'd be lunch and then you'd go back to work. And, and if you were going to school, you'd be going to school also. I mean, the, every, everything, everything was provided. In other words, your academics, the emotional growth, because you were in what they call raps, groups, games. They call them games like seven days a week, Andrew, three hours a day. Unbelievable. And uh, so it was very, very, very structured, uh, you know, depending on the, on the job you had and uh, depending on what you were doing or, or if you were going, going to school. And believe me, uh, you were going from dawn to dusk, you know, uh, after dinner, you were you were exhausted, but it was like seven days a week. Wow, what is? Oh yeah, and you know, and it, and the you know the interesting part about the groups, uh, the the games they call them games. Uh, it was all drug addicts sitting in a room, let's say fifteen people talking to each other, you know, and uh, kind of attack therapy. I mean, that was the old days. I mean, you know, you, they got away with things that you could never get away with today. And it was that in-your-face therapy, you know, like you're up, and, you know, bop, 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 you know. But it was very, very different. And no clinicians. I mean, they, they didn't believe in any of that stuff in those days. Was there any psychoeducation? Was there any talk about the brain and the impacts on the brain? Was, was no. None of that. No, no, no such thing. Uh-uh. No, no, no. That came later. Wow. What does sin? Yeah. What's sin anon stand for? I'm assuming the anon is anonymous. What's the? It's sin? It's, a, it's a it's just a coined word, just okay. anon. And uh, the founder Charles Diedrich, Charles E. Diedrich, you know, he came from AA. And uh, it's interesting you asked me that question earlier. And the reason why he left AA was because they were they didn't want to work with drug addicts. They didn't want to work with certain people. So he just decided that he was going to start. Synanon. He started it in 1958, and uh, it became successful overnight. Uh, I mean, it was unbelievable. When I went there, I think there were about 20 clients. Wow. So, so now yeah. nowadays, for those that don't know, and and I, you know, I I don't know if you know, I have my drug. Well, I got my certificate in drug abuse counseling, and and worked with addicts for a short time, but. Um, you know, the disease model, the, the biopsychosocial model of that there's, you know, genetics involved, there's, there's, you know, family environments, there's social environments, there's, there's a lot, that, like it's very complex why people end up in addiction. And, yeah. you know, that was really fun for me to learn and, and really like, it just really opened my worldview and my mind to this, this addiction, you know problem that a lot of people struggle with and so many people that haven't dealt with it personally whether it's a close family member or or themselves it's so easy to be really judgmental back then what were you guys sitting around saying to each other you're weak you have no willpower is that because that's that's where everybody wants to go with addiction what was the conversation like and how did you guys make sense of we got here you know, it, it was all of the what you just said. I mean, you know, why are you here? What's wrong with you? No willpower. What's wrong? You know, I mean, it, you know, you'd sit in a room, you know, and if somebody would start uh, backpedaling or, or, you know, that's not so. I mean, there would be 14 other people telling you where you're dead wrong, man. 
you know, and, and just address and just, I mean, but I'm, I'm not talking softly. This was like in your face. I mean, just saying, you know, you're a, I mean, it was, you know, all the foul language, you know, I'm not going to use it, but, uh, that's how it was. And, uh, it was, you know, you got to get your shit together and, and here's how you got to do it. I mean, you've got to, you know, you got to follow everything we tell you to do. And that's how it was. I mean, it was, you know, learning a lifestyle, a totally different lifestyle, like we teach today, you know, uh, in wilderness and therapeutic boarding schools. I mean, it's, it's really teaching people that, you know, nobody owes you anything. You've got to earn everything you get. And by doing that, you have to do this. I mean, they would teach that every day, every day. And it was just constant getting up at a certain time, never being late, you know, being here, doing this and following through. And, and I mean, it would always be addressed. I mean, if you did anything or said anything that was going sideways, it would be addressed in that group. I mean, nobody slides, you know, and uh, they, they you, you don't get away with anything. I mean, you get called on everything and anything that you do or, you know, and even if you don't do it. Was you know? there, were there a lot of people who would quit, check out? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's very typical. But gotcha. then again, there, there were those that would stick too. You know, for instance, I remember when, uh, you know, and it used to be a, believe it or not, it used to be a smoking environment. And I remember when, uh, when they said that, uh, well, we're going to cease smoking. We're never going to, nobody's going to be able to smoke, uh, you know, uh, that lives here. And I mean, we lost a lot of people when that happened, but that was okay. Uh, you know, but, but I had stopped smoking even before we did that, you know, Carol and I. We stopped the way before that, but then they, they implemented that, but they were very, very, uh, health conscious. You know, they thought, well, how could you teach health and everybody's smoking, you know? Yeah. And, uh, they, they said, we got to do away with that, which was, un which was unbelievable, but you know, you lose people, but it's like any program, you know, uh, you're going to lose some, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, but it happens. Uh, but overall, most stuck it out and it, it saved a lot of lives. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> God, I've got so many questions. When did when did the change? When did you see the treatment start to change? And and what were the first changes that came that's brought us to where we are today? I mean, there's a lot of different approaches, right? And and maybe that's too broad of a question. But what were the different can it kind of benchmark shifts you saw in the treatment of addiction over the last you know fifty years? Well, I can tell you today, I think it's uh, 10 times larger than it's ever been uh, in addiction. I mean, because I work very closely in the addictions world still today. Uh, we chaperone adults uh, to uh, different programs to and from. But some of the major, major differences I've seen in shifts that I've seen, uh, clinicians were implemented. Medication was implemented. You know, and I believe that, uh, you know, uh, there are some kids or young adults or adults uh, that uh, medication will help and will help them uh, with their struggles uh, with what, whatever's going on with them. Uh, that was a big, big change. Uh, also, you know, the I remember when wilderness started and uh, I'm a big believer in wilderness. I'm a big believer in it, it's a great place to start to stabilize 
whether it's an adolescent or a young adult, to stabilize them, to prepare them for the next step, whether it's going on to a therapeutic boarding school or, or wherever. You know, so that's another big thing that's taken place over the years. Uh, there's a lot more access to programs today than there's ever been. There's no excuse today for drinking, for using drugs, depression. I mean, things that, that, that are beyond your control. Depression. Uh, you have access to so much better help today. I've seen those changes. It's been unbelievable with the different programs and the approach. For instance, you know, I think of uh, Kalo, you know, working with adopted kids. I mean, wow. I mean, you know, or you, you, there are niche programs. And uh, it's like the wilderness. To me, that's a, those are niche programs that, that uh, I, I feel everybody will benefit, uh, for, you know, to uh, experience that opportunity to go through a wilderness program. So those are the changes I see. The other changes, the, the, the things I see that, that are pretty kind of striking today, uh, you know, it's the kids, are, they're getting younger, you know, which is even worse. The drugs that people are using today are 10 times more powerful. They're killing people left and right. That's the sad part, you know, uh, so, the more and more uh, word uh, that we can get out that there is help, the more and more programs that will work with people. And that's, that's going to be the key. It's just sad. Every day, you know, you just read about the, the overdoses of uh, this fentanyl. Uh, you know, it, it's unbelievable. Very yeah. sad. What do you, do you believe in rock bottom? Do you, or do you believe in rock bottom being necessary in order for someone to get help? I don't know. No, I think, uh, you know, look, there's, you know, there are people that, that don't think they can get clean. There are people that uh, think that, you know, well, somebody's got to hit rock bottom before, you know, they'll uh, uh, get help. I don't know. I see, I see a lot less of that today. Believe me, that's how it used to be. That's how it used to be. You know, people would, would, would say, no, well, you know, he's not ready. He's got to hit rock bottom. I think, uh, uh, today, if uh, all stops are, are pulled, uh, like for instance, I mean, we work with a lot of clients today that, you know, their families are still supporting them, you know, in, in one way or another, paying their rent, giving them gas money, giving them sick rib money, you know, uh, food money, telephone, paying for that. I mean, all these things which help contribute to why, why get help, you know, uh, I think, yes, you know, the, 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 the more you can, if a family member, you know, the, 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 if the family will just listen and get the right direction, and here's what you have to do to get your son, your daughter to really, really think about getting some help without having to hit rock bottom. You know, if you wait for rock bottom, they could die, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you want to wait that long. What do you think is the biggest misconception people have of addiction? from the outside looking in? Well, I, I think there's a lot of people that still think that uh, it's kind of hopeless, you know. Uh, but I also, you know, I, I, I see more and more people uh, that feel that it's, it's really not, you know, that, that if you get that client to the right 
program, working with the right people that have the right stuff, there is always a good chance of, uh, of helping them and turning them around. You know, uh, I, you know, I, I remember when people used to say that, and I mean, when, if you were a dope fiend and that's how they classified you, I mean, forget about it. I mean, you were like, you were worse than a dog, you know, I mean, you, they just wanted to kind of put you on the back burner, uh, that there was really no help. And, uh, you know, that's not, I, I, I think that, uh, it, it is perceived a little differently today that uh, you can get help and you do get help. I see people all the time, you know, uh, whether it's a, you know, it's interesting. I had a, uh, a message uh, the other night from a, a student. I still can't believe this. He says, is this Bill Lane, the Bill Lane that was at CEDU? This was on my Facebook. And, uh, and he, I picked this kid up. Must have been 30 years ago, maybe 40 years ago. And, you know, we, he connects with me, and I find out it's a kid uh, that was at CEDU. And I picked up, and uh, he's now working in the field. I mean, it's 40 years later. Wow. But, yeah, I, I, I was like, what? And then I had uh, dinner with another student the other night, and it was interesting. I was not only with his interventionist who intervened on him when he was an adult, but I worked with him when he was an adolescent, who's now a big interventionist. He's got a company in L.A. doing unbelievable. But uh, it, it's, you know, I see more and more people getting the help that they need, and especially those that I know from like 20, 30, 40 years ago. Wow. The other interesting thing is I'm working with some of the kids of some of the parents that we worked with years ago, which is interesting. Wow. Yeah. So what do you think is the most important thing addicts need? And I, I know it's complex, but, you know, in your opinion, what is it we could be doing better or more of? Or what, what is it we could be educating everyone about in terms of how to best support addicts? Well, I think the education is the most important thing. Look, you know, people, you know, I mean, you get yourself in a position where you're, you're an addict, one form or another, whatever you're using, it doesn't matter whether it's drugs, alcohol, uh, they're, they're just as bad to me, both of them. Uh, you know, education is key because, you know, people get into that position where they feel they can't get help, where they feel they're just doomed. You know, and, and the more and more we talk about it, and the more and more we publicize it, and the more and more people realize that there is help. I, I think people have to understand that there are programs out there that can work with you. You know, there are, you know, whether you're an adolescent, whether you're a young adult, uh, you know, I don't see, in all honesty, I, I don't see it getting, it, it seems to me it's getting worse than getting better. You know, uh, I mean, I remember, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I mean, 50 when, when we were talking about the same thing, you know, and uh, it just seems like it's bigger today. Uh, it's unbelievable. But I, I think the education is the key. People have to understand and get the word out that there is help out there, you know, and that, that's the bottom line. You know, something I've always struggled with, Bill, and I, I, I believe that 12-step model is really can be really appropriate for the right person. Um, and, you know, do you, are you a believer that it's important to identify as an addict the rest of your life? 
you know, I'm so-and-so and I'm an addict or what are your thoughts yeah, you on know, that? I, I, I think that there's an appropriate time for that. If you feel uh, that uh, you, you want to talk about that or have to talk about that, you know, there's, there's the old saying that, you know, you, you tell your story, you know, I mean, I think everybody I've been involved with, they've always felt that way. They felt they, they, they didn't want it to be something where they had to hide behind. So I, I, I don't, I don't see it as a problem. Somebody talking about, you know, where they came from at the appropriate time, you know, there's always that time, you know, and if you feel you don't want to talk about, it, I, I don't have a problem with that either. The thing I like about AA, you know, and, and, and believe me, AA is not the only way, you know, I mean, there's, there's other options and there's other ways. And, uh, but AA, I, I think, you know, provides one of the best support systems I've ever seen. And I'm talking about meetings. You could go to a meeting anywhere in the world at any given time. You know, if you feel you need to go to a meeting, you know, now I didn't come from that. You know, I didn't come from the 12 step model. It was just the guy left AA, started Synanon, and it wasn't based. It was based on AA, but not the 12 step. You know, you didn't go to, you know, AA meetings. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so I, a matter of fact, I didn't go to a meeting until uh, only because I was with friends and we were going to dinner and they said, hey, let's go to a meeting. And I, I ended up going and it had been probably 30 years before I even went to a meeting, you know, but, but I knew all about it because I worked in the industry, you know, but, uh, you know, it's to each his own, you know, there are people that, that won't go to AA for that reason, you know, so there are other options. There's smart recovery. There's, there's what we do today with adolescents, you know? Uh, so I, I'm not stuck on that. But I don't have an issue with that either. You know, if somebody feels that it's uh, that it's important that they talk about uh, uh, their uh, their story at, at, with uh, the appropriate uh, people at the appropriate time, that's fine with me too. Yeah, I've never had an issue. You know, I've uh, and it's where I came from. I mean, you know, people are gonna like me for who I am, not for you know what I did 50 years ago when I was a kid. You know, and. Uh, and if they they don't, that's that's not my. I don't have a problem with them disliking me. That's okay too. Yeah, you know, you know there's an organization in Utah, um, and it, this was a few years back. I'm sure it's grown, but it was called Addict to Athlete, and I I loved their concept. And that's where that that's where I first heard someone kind of challenge that you know idea. Like, do we have to identify as an addict forever? And his, his philosophy was, and again, every approach, different approaches reach different people, was they would have meetings and everyone would stand up and say, I'm so-and-so, I'm an athlete. And they would, yeah, have, yeah. they would have a meeting and then everyone would go for a run. And they'd yeah, have all yeah. these like marathons and triathlons all set up. I loved that. And that's, you I know, like that. I like that too. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was cool. So uh, what about, are there books, is there a book that's kind of your staple if someone calls you and says, Bill, I got somebody who might, might need some help, um, or, you know, education or videos or movies you refer people to, to help understand their addiction or their loved one's addiction? You know, there, I don't, you know, uh, you know, if somebody calls me and I do get a lot of calls, you know. And it depends on on who's who's calling and what the, the age of the <clears throat> the age of the client they're talking about. You know, I'll always refer them to uh, the appropriate people. You know, I don't. Uh, you know, uh, for instance, if we're working with adolescents, uh, 
and it, it's a client from LA and, 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 and the person's like seeking out a program or, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm pretty clear about, I'd rather refer them to a Harriet Bay or a Terry Solacek or a, an educational consultant that, that really has their finger on the pulse of, uh, uh, what's going on and what, what that, you know, that's, that student might need. I'm very, very comfortable with that. When it comes to a young adult, you know, I'm very comfortable with, uh, uh, there are uh, programs that, that, that I work with all over the country that I'm very, very comfortable about uh, uh, talking, uh, referring them to. You know, I had uh, uh, an educational consultant call me uh, in, uh, from Boston, uh, who you know. And, uh, you know, she, she said, Bill, I need your help. I need uh, a recommendation for a family, a very good friend of hers. Uh, their best friends, uh, their brother's an alcoholic and, uh, you know, and they don't want to leave Texas. And I said, you know, I got the perfect program and I just visited. I spent three days on a professional visit at uh, BRC recovery in Manor, Texas. This place was fabulous. I mean, uh, they have a, a men's and women and, and, and a beautiful campus doing the right thing. 12 step. Uh, and that's, that's exactly what this guy needed. And, uh, I, I recommended this to her and, and, and she called the brother and, and they got him. Matter of fact, he was down there the next day. Guy did very well. I, you know, I think he spent a few months there. So it depends, you know, uh, I don't recommend any specific book or, or CD or anything like that. I, I would rather, I'm more comfortable with referring to, to somebody that knows a little more, a lot more than I do about, you know, uh, what they might need, especially getting an evaluation. You know what I mean? Yep. Definitely, man. Definitely. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what do you think about millennials and this younger generation, maybe iGen, Gen Z, there's a different, few different names for the adolescents right now. Is addiction different for them? The the way they get not into a, it, not at all. it's all the same. No, no, none of that's changed. You know, addictions, addictions, addiction. You know, it's it's same thing with the booze, the alcohol. You know, uh, uh, you know, it's you know, I mean, it's the experimentation, man. Where it, that's what gets you in trouble. You know, you, you know, you can't be with you can be the best parents in the world. I, you know, and you know, you could be doing everything with your kids and all of a sudden they go off to school and get hooked up with the wrong crowd. And, and that's how it happens, man. You know, and somebody happens to have a little drugs and whatever it might be. And bingo, that's how it starts. I mean, it's how it started with, with me and I don't see it any different today. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, really, really easy. Don't. It's really easy to start beating up on the parents, right? I I think that's one thing that I've learned a lot in these last five years is oh, no. people people from the oh, outside are like, oh, it's parenting, it's parenting, and most no, no. of the parents we talk to and we're working with are really great parents. Andrew, and, as you well know, as well I well know, these parents love their kids. They want nothing but the best for their kids. You know, they've done everything and they get that. It's like they get caught off guard. All of a sudden, bam, we got an issue. You know, we got a problem and they want to nip it in the bud, you know, uh, and they'll do whatever it takes. If it's a continuum of care, which is which I which is another thing I love today we could talk about. But 
uh, you know, kid goes to the program, goes through 30, six weeks at, uh, uh, you know, a program and, you know, but there's a continuum of care afterwards. But these parents get involved, you know, and I, I love that, you know, and, and that makes a lot more sense to me today than it ever has. Uh, but you're right. The parents are great. I, I love, you know, when I when I uh, uh, for years, you know, worked with parents on the phone. I mean, I loved it, you know, and I loved working with parents. Just the thing that I loved the most was I, I, I could make them feel a little better about what was happening or what they were doing and the choice that they were making. That made me feel good, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I like the parents. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. It's one of the hardest things they'll ever do in their lives is send oh, a child to imagine. a program, right? And can't, can't imagine. Can't yeah. imagine. And, that's, and I do this for a living, and you do this for a living. And we say, oh, my God, man. If my daughter, oh, man, it would kill me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it would. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's very tough. And if you could put yourself in their shoes, you know, which we do, we think about, oh, my God, this is, you know, and you – you got to emphasize. I mean, it's it's just very, very tough. And I emphasize that with with all my the people that work for me that I mean, what the parents are going through. Yeah. And you know, we talk about that all the time. I have some some people very close to me that if you asked me who I thought some of the greatest parents are, I would say this, this couple. And they called me up a few years back and said, Andrew, we we got a problem. We need your help. And, you know, it, my heart just goes out to them. And I, I think that, you know, from within the industry, I find myself being this sort of like uh, protector of parents in, in this process, <laughs> oh, yeah. exactly as you're saying, man. And, you know, they come down, they, they come down to our program and they look at us with these just, you know, desperate eyes and like, what did we do? And it's like, well, no, it's like, it just, shit happens man like that's right that's know? right that's like, right we'll get that's through right. this we'll get through this yeah are you perfect parents no way and honestly bill i think that their weaknesses as parents get magnified because of the situation i do too and and listen if i had three angel kids and i was a pretty good dad it would be real easy to be like oh andrew's an amazing father look at his kids well if i had one kid who just was born to struggle um you would have a handful of things that would be like, man, Andrew really screwed that deal up. I mean, I don't have kids yet, so we'll, we, we'll, we'll follow up on this conversation in another 20 years, Bill. That's right. <laughs> and and we'll, we'll, we'll know all of my weaknesses, I'm sure. But uh, yeah. I, I just think they're an easy target, and that's something that I've enjoyed in these podcasts is a lot of people from our profession and our field are, are really sympathetic to these parents. And I... I, oh, I yeah. I like that message for, for everybody who, who knows someone who might be in this process is just be a little softer and more gentle with those people because, you know. Well, you know, it's like I said, you know, you, you know, you, you, you got to put yourself in their shoes. Listen, we're in, we're in a caring business, you know, and, and, and you know, it, it, it's, you got to, I don't know how you could be in this business, you know, and not feel that way. I've been doing this a long time. You know, and, you know, I still feel the same way. I love it, you know, and uh, I love working with the families, the students, the programs and and the professionals. And, you know, it just never gets old to me. And I'm on the go all the time because, 
you know, because because I like it. And uh, you you gotta you gotta um, you, you do the, the parents are they're struggling. It's very very tough. I mean, uh, you know, and you 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 just gotta be there for them, and which we are, you know. And uh, it it's a it's just a great feeling to be able to to help anybody that's struggling, anybody. And this is usually where you get your call and what you currently do, which is transporting. And you've been doing that for 25 years. Can you, for anybody that doesn't know what that means, can you kind of give us an idea of what it, what sure. transporting is? Sure. Uh, when I was at CEDU, actually, uh, I developed this. Uh, and uh, when when we sold CEDU, I just kept the business and incorporated it in the name of Bill Lane and Associates. Uh, you know, transporting is uh, when a parent <clears throat> can't get their uh, son or daughter to go to the program uh, on their own volition or with the parents. And uh, they're working with uh, either a consultant uh, or a hospital or a school or uh, a program. And uh, they will uh, contract with us to uh, uh, make arrangements to uh, uh, make a successful uh, transition from home to uh, to a program. Uh, probably the key to what we do more than anything is we're, we're very compassionate people. We're very clean cut, quality, no thugs, no goons, not padded out, uh, no uh, piercings. I mean, uh, yeah, I, we just are a very clean cut organization. And when we work with a student, I mean, we're talking about opportunity, that it's not punitive. I mean, those are the things we address very, very quickly, that this is a great opportunity and, and an adventure. You know, if, it, if a student's going to, uh, to uh, uh, wilderness, uh, you know, and, and I emphasize this again with uh, all of our employees, that uh, this is a fabulous opportunity. And there's a part of this they're going to love, which they do. They do end up loving it. But we'll transport students from uh, from everywhere, every state in the country to every program in the country. And, uh, you know, we want the most important thing is we want to make this a very, very smooth transition, not only for the student, but what we were talking about for the family. You know, we keep everybody, our communication, bar none, is probably better than anybody's. And I'm going to say it in the industry. Uh, we make sure. The parents, the program, the consultant, anybody that is involved with that student is in the loop with our communication. From the moment we're on the way to the airport, to what the kid's eating at the airport, that the flight's taken off, that the flight's landed, that they're on the way to the pro. Everybody knows the whole gamut, the st all, every step of the way. So we're known for that. I mean, we provide a very, very smooth transition for students that uh, are going uh, from home to a program. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those uh, uh, businesses that uh, it's a one of those necessary businesses where, you know, you're going to make it uh, uh, the. Yeah. And we do everything. I mean, we take care of all the arrangements. Parents, all they have to say is, Bill, we'd like to use you. We send them a three-page contract, and we make all the flight arrangements. We take care of all the ticketing. We work with the program so they, they get a copy of the flight arrangements of when we're arriving in Salt Lake or in Costa Rica, wherever we're going. 
we'll, we'll, they'll they'll know everything. And and it just takes a lot of the burden off the family. They don't have to worry about anything. We tell them exactly what time we're going to be at the house, who's going to be at the house. And we describe the people that are coming. If it's a female, it'll be a, two females or a male and a female. If it's a guy, it could be two guys or a guy and a girl, depending on the makeup of the student. And we kind of try and set it up so that uh, if a student's musical, we'll get somebody who's musical, you know, we, we, that, that'll be one of the agents. Uh, so we try and match it up. If it gets athletic, we want to get somebody that's athletic, you know, just in case there's any issues. But, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're good at uh, really, really making this uh, transition very smooth for everybody. But I think it's important to note that <clears throat> These are families in major crisis. You know, oh, yeah. I, I listened to an NPR interview with Mike Gass and those guys, and there was a mom on there that had written a book about how terrible our industry is. And, you, you know, there's a few out there. And, oh, sure. You know, sure. She, she brings up the transporting. And I really, I think it was Mike's answer. It wasn't Mike. It was someone else that called in and said, hey, you know, we're, we're talking about young people that are, that are walking a very dangerous line in their lives. Oh yeah. Of like a very dangerous behavior, whether it's addictive or, or acting out otherwise, we're talking about young people that may, may lose their lives soon on their path. And yeah, transporting may not be the most glamorous way, uh, or, you know, to get something done, but when it's done with grace, when it's done right, it's, it's the best scenario for everybody. And, and I think it really frustrates well, yeah, but, me when people yeah. start getting, you know, down on this deal. And I just think, come on. Like, yeah, well, it, it does too. You know, I mean, you think about it. We're, you know, we're going to be with that student for two, three, four, five, six, eight hours, you know, and our main objective is really, really to take the fear out of it, take the mystery out of it to really, really pump the student up about the program. And we will highlight things that we think that student might like. So, you know, it helps tremendously that it, with his trend or her transition from home, you know, to the program. Because by the time the student gets to the program with our people, two things happen. One, they usually hug the agents when they're leaving. Two, that transition goes very, very smooth because we don't lie. You know, if a student asks us a question, you know, and we don't know the answer, we say, well, well man, I don't know. Let's see if we can find out when we get there uh, because we, we, we don't want to lie to a student. We want to be right up front. And, we, and so when the student gets there, there's no fear. I mean, he knows that this is going to be happening and here's the next step and here's what's going on. You know, you're not... They're always worried about, oh, my God, am I going to eat? Am I going to be eating mice? Am I going to be this? Uh, you know, am I going to get cold? So we'll get into, we'll talk about, you know, something. It's a great diet. I mean, you're not going to get hungry. You're going to eat good. You know, you're going to be dressed to the nines. You're not going to get cold. You're going to have the warmest clothes and the gear, you know, and you're not going to get hot in the summer. You're going to have the great gear and blah, blah, you know, and I'm, and, and, you know, we're talking about that, like, you know, I, listen, I've been out in the field with students, I know, you know, and, but it's the truth, you know, and we would only tell the truth. And because those are the things that are, that are just, man, their heads are spinning. You know, you wake at students up at four o'clock in the morning. I mean, their heads are spinning and you want to really, really 
address that very quickly and try and, and, and we do, we win them over because, you know, like I said, we're going to, no matter how they act, we're going to treat them good. We're going to feed them good. And we're really going to pump them up about what's happening. And that's really what we do. You know, uh, yeah, listen, I get, I feel the same way. You know, people say, oh, it's, it's the trauma. And what are you doing? And the trauma, it, it's just the opposite. I mean, it's really just the opposite of what we're doing with the students and really just pumping them up about where they're going. You know, and, and we do. We win them over. You know, you, I'm glad you brought up the word trauma. And trauma is a real thing. You and I both know that. But I read a great article a few weeks ago on, on the fact that we're using the word trauma so loosely now. That, oh, Andrew, that, it's, it's getting, I'm seriously, I'm glad you said that. It's, it's sickening. It I, is. Everybody throws it up. You know, in in your face. I, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's it's being used too loosely, and it's damaging a generation. Because you're absolutely right. I be, agree, man. It's because we're not, you know, in, in the article I read, I loved. They're like, why don't we call these resilience experiences? Like, every, you know, traumas are real. They happen. You got to deal with them. You know, but that doesn't mean every difficult thing I go through, and the, you know, scary things, even things that are left with me for years to come, it doesn't mean they have to debilitate me. I mean, a lot of those things in my life have, have made me stronger. And it, it, anyway, I could go off, but I feel like we're, we're feeding, I, hear, I hear you. I hear you. We're feeding this learned helplessness of these yeah. younger generations and we're getting them, you know, we're getting People them in our program and they're going like, Oh I my gosh, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's, you know, it's traumatic, and, and, and of course the therapists are trained to, to know how to manage those conversations, and we're always sensitive to that. But um, a lot of what we do in our wilderness programs, you know, it, it's building resilience and grid. I mean, I could go off, and I should probably not, oh, of course. I not know. right now. Hey, but, um, listen, <laughs> our clients are more resilient than most people really, really think. You know, they really are. But yeah. no, I agree with I, I hear you loud and clear, believe me. Yeah, I think grit and resilience are going to be the message for millennials and, and iGen. Uh, Maureen Brennan and I talked at length about it, you know, and I love what she, she always says. Her and Trevor Allen gave a great presentation at ICA a few years back, and they're like, expect more. Expect uh -huh. more of your kids. Expect them to be tougher. Expect them. Like, it, let them, you know, struggle. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But, uh. <laughs> that's all right. Hey, that's okay. I, I, but I love to hear. But it's true. I get it. Believe me. You know. Yeah. I, lo I like Maureen, by the way. Oh, she's great. So, oh, yeah. so you know, you, you Northeastern people, you guys just have a way with words and just talking directly. You know, everybody from the West, we like to dance around things. That's why I love interviewing you guys. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> hey, we're, we're right out front. You know, listen, this is it's nothing, nothing else to say. I mean, it's, it's who we are, yeah. you know, and uh, and we love what we do. You know, uh, listen, Pure Life of Spiro, you know, I've got friends there, I, you know, that work there. And, and we all go back a long time. I remember when it was started. And, uh, we work very closely with the spirit. We work with all the program. And, you know, these you develop friendships and, you know, it's really cool. You know, uh, even though we don't hang out, but when we run into each other, it's like, uh, we pick up where we left off yesterday. You know, it's unbelievable. But those are the friendships that you develop in this industry because, you know, you like same people. You know, your, your, your interests are the same. Uh, we love helping 
people, you know, and that's where it all comes from. And I think, Bill, we're all a little bit of a kid at heart to be in this industry, in this field. I think there's something in us that kind of has, that maintains this youthfulness that, that we, that just likes connecting with these young people, even at their worst moments. There's just something well, about yeah. it. I think that, uh, I think there's definitely a part of that. You know, something I've always really admired about you from the day I met you is you, you remembered my name and have every oh. time I've seen you since. How do you, I, I think I'm pretty good with names, but I think you're one of the best. Yeah, it's funny you say that. It's my wife always says that, but you know it's true. I thank God I have a recall. If I meet you once and I commit that to my head, that's it, man. And, you know, it's like the same thing. If I, you know, if I go to a place once, I never forget. I can always get there again. You know, but it's interesting. I do. I remember people. Well, because, you know, especially if you take a liking to somebody, you know, and, or the conversation, whatever is going on in the group, you know, it, 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 I'm very lucky that way. Very lucky. Yeah. Well, thanks, I man. Can, people say that to me, Andrew. That, that blows their mind. I can't believe you remember my name. So what are you talking about? I mean, it's like a big deal. I still, you know, well, I must have liked you. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. Well, how can people find you? If someone wants to get a hold of you, website, email, phone number. Sure. My website is, it's very simple. It's BillLaneAndAssociates.com. And it's spelled out B-I-L-L-L-A-N-E-A-N-D-A-S-S-O-C-I-A-T-E-S.com. So it's all spelled out, BillLaneAndAssociates.com. You know, and of course, my my uh, my email is very simple. It's Bill hyphen Lane at sbcglobal.net. Great. And of course, our office number is 866-492-3400. And that's within the United States. Outside the United States, it's 858 858- Four eight eight five three one nine. Great, Bill. Thanks for your time, man. I really Andrew, enjoyed our conversation. My pleasure, buddy. And uh, thank you. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. I'll see you in Tampa, brother. Thanks so much. All right. Take care, my friend. Have a nice day. Thank you. You too.